0: Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right, turn if you would to uh, Psalms chapter 32. Psalm 32, starting in verse 1. And I'm going to be from the the New American Standard version. And uh, somebody asked, what version do you preach from? And, And I'll be honest with you, I usually have like, Six or seven different versions in my notes because the translators are trying to translate Hebrew, Greek, Chaldean, and sometimes some translations bring that out better than others. And you say, well, I'm a King James only person and just wait. It'll come around at some point because I go through so many different versions. Um, but this particular one translated a word the way I like. King James transferred it, saints trans, um, Translated the same way, and so did New King James, but I just like the way it was written here in this one. But how many read the headings before you read a chapter? They're very informative. They're part of the text. And so this says it's a psalm of David, a maskil. And maskil means it's a Hebrew word that means a teaching uh, from David. David's basically teaching you something with this psalm that's very important. It says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. You know why David is writing this. this? Uh, everybody agrees that this psalm was written during a time in David's life where he was overcoming the sin with Bathsheba, and the following, um, he basically set up a man to die. He didn't actually murder him, but he actually did not murder him. Uh, he put him in the front line of battle where the battle was most ferocious and basically had a loophole. Uh, the guy lost his life, but he was interested in his wife. And it was a time of David's life that I spoke about a few weeks ago where he was away from God. And so David um repented for a long period of time he wouldn't deal with his sin. At least nine months he wouldn't deal with the sin. And um and finally he was confronted about his sin, repented for a long period of time, and at some point God finally restored David, and David is writing this psalm in thirty two, and if you want to write write it down and you're taking notes, uh the companion psalm is Psalm fifty one. Because Psalm 51 is the one that he actually wrote after God finally restored him through repentance back into a relationship with God, back into um, good standing with God. Now, I mean, you know, it feels good when you're away from home and you finally come back. It's good when you're away from God and God finally restores you. and And it's also good to recognize if David could be restored, then man, so can I. And so David is just... Psalm 51 is written right after God restores him. Psalm 32 is a very similar, um, in fact, you can parallel them. a lot of similar phrases, similar structure, but Psalm 51 was written several years, or Psalm 32 was written several years later after he got to think about it for a while, and he's talking about the same subject. So he had years to ponder what God did for him back when God had restored him. So both of them together kind of give a full picture of what was going on in David's heart when God finally restored him. And it was really, um, in fact, there, there's one history of David through this period of time, and, and, and it's a negative uh, prophetic history of David, and it's the center of his life. Then there's another um, more positive history of David in Chronicles, and that particular version, actually the center of it is his success in building the temple. So it's two different stories of David's life. One focuses on the negative. It's more prophetic. Here's why David failed. And then the other history is here's why what David did that the Lord loved. Amen? I mean, no, you write that about all of our lives. And so the center of that is this sin that he committed and God had to really restore him, okay? And so David in Psalm chapter 51 um, when he 's going through it, and God restores him he 's saying, "God, please restore me so I can teach other people about what you did for me." He wanted to actually teach other people this is how God restores a person who has literally fell and fell flat on his face and failed God. How many of you have ever been there? All right, me and a few other people also. I feel better. Sometimes nobody raises their hand, and I'm like, why am I here? I'm the only one. Good. Um, But he says, Blessed is the person whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man who the Lord does not impute iniquity against him, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, what was David silent about? His sin... And when I was quiet about it, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. How many have ever been there? My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you, God, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions. Did you see this? Blessed is the man who has all these things. And, And finally, David... Was wasting away at secret sin, he wouldn't acknowledge it, and then he finally says, "What? I've acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide." You see, David's talking about a person who finally is not hiding from God anymore, and this is the part of the translation I like. Some say hidden there; King James says hidden. It says, I haven't hid, I've acknowledged, and I haven't hid it. And this is what I'm trying to bring out in this message. David was hiding his sin for a period of time. He was hiding from God. Anybody ever like to play hide and see? In fact, it's uh, the oldest game that anybody's ever played. Did you know that? God's walking through the garden cool of the day, man has sinned, and God's one. Okay, he didn't. Don't take that in the story. But finally, he walks through the garden or an orchard, maybe a more accurate way to say it. He's walking through in the cool of the day. Now, remember, man had a perfect world. I mean, all you had to do was go take care of the plants, eat, spend time with God, no job, no work, no anything, This relationship with God, right? And here's what I find interesting. I don't even read where they had a home. You know, they definitely weren't covered physically. Think about it. And didn't even know they weren't were covered. They don't read of a home. It just says he cast them out of the garden. So that tells me the circumstances were pretty good there, that they didn't even need shelter. Now, you try that today. Try to go through life without shelter for a while. And even if you're homeless and you say, man, I don't have shelter, how many know they're still trying to find shelter? They're going to rescue missions. They're going to homeless shelters. They're going out into uh, parks and campgrounds trying to build shelters. They're trying to find something to shelter them from the elements. But Adam in the garden and Eve, we don't read of any clothing, Shelter. We just read of a place where God took care of them and, you know, they're not even, we don't even see they're driven from their home, do we? They're just driven from the garden. An orchard. And so, God's looking for them. Saying, where are you? Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? And here's the thing, God knows exactly where he's at. He's like, I can see your feet. You know, under that orchard tree, right? It's like somebody's really bad at hide and seek, you know. They're like, oh, I don't I really don't see you behind that curtain, and your sneakers are still sitting at the bottom. Okay. All right, I don't want to offend some people who are bad at hide and seek, all right? If you're not good at it. I'm not real good at it, I'm too big for it, you know. But hide and seek, David is hiding from God. He's got sin in his life, he doesn't know what to do with it, he's hiding from God. Um and he's wasting away, his bones are wasting away, he's got no uh, joy in his life because he did something wrong and he's away from God. And then here's what he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. He ceased from hiding. I said I will, convent, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely, in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my what? Hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Did you hear that? David was hiding from God... But now what does God become? His hiding place. So first he's hiding from God, and then after he's forgiven, God is his hiding place. And it's not the only scripture that says it. Psalm 27, 5. For in the time of trouble, he, capital H, will hide me in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle god is a hiding place god is a shelter god is a place of protection to those who find him psalm 17:8 keep me as the apple of the eye hide me in the shadow of your wings So where's the hiding place there? It's literally in his throne room under the shelter of his wings. This psalmist has made his hiding place. But remember, he was hiding from God, and now God is his hiding place. So somehow we've got to discover how to find security, how to find safety, how to live our life in the shelter of his pavilion. I like the sound of that. Hallelujah. The shelter of his pavilion. These psalms are called the penitential psalms. There are six penitential psalms. This is two of them. But you notice there are three words here for sin. And I think this is pretty amazing to look at and think about. Because David is actually hiding because of his sins. And God transforms him into a person who's actually... How many, how many, man, I don't know if I can ever get over what I've done wrong. And we've got to figure out how David went from running from God out of fear of God because he had sinned to hiding in God and being protected by God and nurtured by God. And I think the key is this analogy of words here. Transgression, sin, iniquity, and deceit. Those are words that could describe me at one point in my life. Transgression means that I crossed the boundary that was set for me. You see, transgression in the Bible, that means there's a line that God drew and He said, hey, I love you, don't go past that line. And in our rebellion, the Bible says we all like sheep have gone astray. In our rebellion, we're more than happy to just cross the line that God said don't cross. And that's what transgression is. And so when I cross that line, I don't just stay next to the line. I might for a little bit be on one side and the other and one side and the other. But eventually, I just am pretty comfortable crossing the line. How many know what I'm talking about? Or am I the only one again? There's a few of us. And the Bible says we, because of our sinful nature, have a propensity to cross the line and keep going. And the world that we have right now, they've crossed the line, and they've went so far past the line, they don't even know where that line's at anymore. And so David said he had transgression. In fact, he says, I had transgression, and um, he was forgiven. Ooh-wee, sounds like the prodigal son. Man, he went way over the line. He went to a far country. He asked for his inheritance before his dad ever died. You say, well, that's no big deal. Go talk to your dad about that. Say, hey, dad, can you give me my inheritance before you die so I can, like, enjoy it? Do you have any value that you could give me now? Because I want to take it and I want to live it and plunder it in another country. I, I just want to take it and I want to spend it wildly in another country while you're alive. You I know, mean, that's pretty serious transgression. He crossed the line dramatically. And, and David said, I... Acknowledge. How many know it's a wonderful place to know you're a sinner? That's like step number one that we can almost never get to. It's wonderful that David said, man, I crossed the line. My transgression was great, but you forgave me. How many know we have a loving God? You know, a lot of people look at God like the dad that would be standing at the end of the lane and David's coming back home. Or David. I say David because of the story, but the, the prodigal son is coming back home. And a lot of us think God would be like, well, you dirty little boy. You terrible son that you are. I've been miserable since you left. I haven't any, had anybody to help with the business. I don't have money because I gave you your inheritance. How many th- how many think that people think that that's how God is? But God shows through that story that I'm the father Who sees you before you even walk up the lane. I'm already laying out a banquet for you. I'm already ready to to celebrate. I put your ring back on your finger. I love you. And David is just, David is just glorying in God's forgiveness because he did something so bad. God should have never accepted him back if he were us. Amen. But God said, I love you. And he forgave him when he acknowledged his transgression. Another word that he uses here is sin. And we say, well, that's the same as transgression. Move on. No, I won't. (laughs) Sin is different. Sin means that I missed the mark. Like how many have ever tried to hit a bullseye and, man, I just don't have the skill to hit the bullseye? I don't have the ability to do it. I don't have the skill to do it. And the Bible says that's how we are with sin. That our nature has been so corrupted that we need help. And God is providing that help through the death of His Son. He's saying, acknowledge you can't hit the mark, and I will forgive you of all sin. And you say, well, good, I'll never mess up again if He'll do that. You're going to mess up again. You know why? Because you don't have the skill... To hit the mark. It's important to understand all the different um, um all the different layers of what sin is. Why can't you hit the mark? Because of the next term he uses iniquity. Iniquity means to bend something out of shape. The reason you can't hit the mark is because you're shooting arrows that are bent into an L shape. How many know that? I've got a quiver full of arrows that are bent. Well, who bent my arrows? Generations of people before you. What are your opinions about sexual purity? They've been bent by your television. They've been bent by your conversations. They've been bent by your neighbors. They've been bent by your own thoughts. We're so bent out of shape. Just imagine, we're in an archery tournament and I'm standing there with perfectly straight arrows. And I look like William Tell. I'm just nailing it. And I said, see if you can hit the mark that I just hit. And see, that's what Jesus is. Jesus hit the mark. And then we walk in with our old crooked arrows, shaped like an L, and we're shooting them, and we're not even hitting close to the target. Well, yeah, we're not going to hit close to the target because our arrows are bent. Well, iniquity literally means that you're too bent to hit the target. So how does God remedy this? And David just says it so clearly in the Scripture. Transgressions forgiven, sins are covered, iniquity is imputed. What does imputed mean? Imputed means I'm not going to hold them against you. See, some of you haven't understood forgiveness. You say, forgives me, now I won't ever mess up again. And you're trying to live by a standard that's legalism. And what God is saying is, let me impute your sins and your iniquities. And that means I'm not going to hold them against you, but I want you a part of this process where I straighten the arrows out. How many know God wants to straighten your arrows out? He wants you to be able to think right. He wants you to be able to act right. But how many know that's a process of trusting somebody to be the Lord of your life and somebody's opinion over your opinion? You say, well, that makes sense to have his opinion over my opinion, but the Internet and God are kind of equal because the Internet has all knowledge. I mean, I could type it in and it'll lead me to heaven, literally. Literally, you haven't even messed with this Google thing, Chad. How I mean, you know that we're bent by Internet theology? So he has these three terms for sin, transgression, sin, iniquity, and then he says deceit. And the deceit part is... I'm hiding. I'm hiding that from God. I've got all kinds of other ways that I'm trying to deal with these things, but I'm hiding from God through deceit. How many have ever been there? Man, I want to hide this from God. Well, David finally said, I just acknowledge my sin. I'm sure David probably didn't acknowledge his sin for a while. Why? For a while he wanted to hide it. He didn't want anybody to know about it. And it was destroying him because he didn't want anybody to know about it. And then I'm sure, um, he just didn't want to be honest with himself, you know. And he was like, why did my, he lost the, the child died. And he goes to the prophet Nathan and Nathan says, Hey, Daniel, or prophet Nathan says, Hey, David, you're the man. You're the one that did this bad thing and you're a sinner. And when he heard Nathan pronounce over him his sin, then David just through sackcloth and fasting and just just became very remorseful and God had to literally restore him from a terrible, terrible sin in his life. In fact, the rest of his life he regretted that he ever did that, you know. And so God replaces the transgression, iniquity and sin and deceit with forgiveness, covering, imputed, which means not counted against him. And David is restored back into the presence of God where he has a shelter. And I want you to begin to think about this hiding place or shelter or place where you can live safely. And so many times, um, in fact, what are we being protected from? We say our basic elements that we need in life, right? Right? What are the basic things we need in life? Food, water, what's that? Shelter and what else? Usually clothing is the other one they say. There's some colonies they don't say that. But not the colonies in the United States. They're different ones, all right? And And the reason why we need those elements, all right, is because the world that we live in is going to affect us physically if we don't have those things. Obviously, food we need to survive, right? Spiritually, what did Jesus say that he was? He said man can't live by bread alone, but he also spiritually has to live by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So he's saying you can't survive if you just eat food. In order to have eternal life, you have to have the bread that comes out of the Word of God every day. I mean, it's as important as what he was saying and more important than food. is living by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Water. You, you'll, you'll survive even less time. You can go without food for a little while. You won't last very long without water. And Jesus says that when you are thirsty, he will allow you to drink of him and you'll never thirst again. Jesus says that I am more important than water itself because without me, you won't survive. He's trying to show us in each one. Clothing. If you're exposed to the elements in the Midwest, now this winter you might survive, but not very long. If you're exposed to the elements and you don't put something in to hold that heat in your body in the dead of winter and you're out on the street somewhere and you don't have some kind of covering, some kind of blanket, some kind of... How many know the elements will destroy you? You say, well, the other two had spiritual insights. Good luck on this one. How many know that the environment that you live in will spiritually destroy you? How I many you have ever been destroyed by guilt? You sit around and you're like, man, did I raise my kids right? Did I do enough? Do I, you know, why do I always have this habit? Why do I have this addiction? Why do I always mess up in this way? And see, again, I'm probably the only one, Right? But you say, man, if I could get rid of this addiction, then I would be right with God. And I keep asking God, and God doesn't take it away. But I want more than anything for it to be gone, and now you have yourself what's called guilt. So now do you understand we have it, don't we? Man, I wish I had something that could cover me, and God wouldn't see that. Are you getting what the Bible's saying here now? If you go in God's presence with that addiction you have, you say, "Well, I don't have any addictions. I just gossip." Right? And what you're going to find out is we're all sinners. You say, well, not me. And see, you're a sinner because you don't know you're a sinner. You don't realize it. You think you're great, and everybody's like, man, I'm so tired of that person because they always think they're great. It's called pride, right? And God's saying, hey, I'm giving you a covering that will cover all of that guilt, all of that failure, all that missing the mark, and I'm going to start straightening out your life if you will receive me into your life and you'll let me work. And God will clothe you. And how many know that in order to be right in God's presence, we have to be clothed with His righteousness? And it's more essential than clothing in this world. How many know that? You could die of this world of, of, of uh, the elements and freezing to death, but you'll die eternally if you don't have righteousness when you stand before God. And he said the only righteousness that counts is mine." Because if you come in with your good works, your righteousness is what? It's like filthy rags. And so we have to have it. So now we come to this. I did all that just to get to my point today. Why would uh, God not also say there's a physical shelter that's required for us to have? Like I said, everybody needs shelter. Why? Because a homeless person Need somewhere to run when there's a rainstorm. How many know that? I don't know, the atmosphere was different in the days of Adam and they just didn't need, it doesn't it look like, a shelter. Something was just different in that period of time and they just, he was cared for completely. And all these needs were cared for completely. But now, how many know if you expose yourself to the elements, where am I gonna go in a bad storm if I'm homeless? I gotta find somewhere to get out of that rain. I gotta find somewhere to get out of that wind. I gotta find somewhere to get out of that storm. I gotta find somewhere to get out of this snow and this ice and these elements just start crashing down. And when someone's been homeless for a little while, you can see it on their face. And you can see the way they they age so quickly because they've been out in the elements. How many know that's true? Some of you know it because you've watched those shows where they drop them off on islands. And you're like, I know exactly what you're talking about. See, I knew I'd hit home. Right? they survive on the island. You're like, oh my goodness, they look so old now. They got a long beard and, but we understand, we understand that, um, If we don't have a physical shelter, we're at risk, right, of dying to the elements. Well, the world we live in, if we don't have a shelter, a good shelter spiritually, how many know that we're going to die? You say, what's going to happen? The storms of life are going to wipe you out. You're going to lose your job. You're going to have financial problems. And you say, well, that's just people that don't... Manage money like me. I'm talking about everybody. Life is a storm that needs to be endured. It is elements that need to be endured. How many know that? And some of the shelters that you're trying to run into are like a cardboard box a homeless person would crawl into. It's not adequate shelter. I mean, no, it's not adequate. You say, well, man, I just ran into this cardboard box of prescription drugs. say, oh, no. Don't go into prescription drugs. But how many know a lot of people that's their shelter? Because I get the desired result that helps me deal with everything. How many know that some run into the cardboard box of uh, alcohol? Because that's where I run because I need shelter from what's going on around me. Some people run into worldly success and ambition. How many know that? Because it makes me feel good about myself and that's how I deal with it. Some go into uh I want people's approval. And that makes me feel better about myself. and. And there's all kinds of things we do to try to deal with the storms of life and the, and, the, and the difficulties of life. And what God's saying is there's only one place that will meet your needs that's specified to deal with the pressures of life. And He says, come into Me. David was trying it on his own, wasn't he? He was like, I tried to do it without your forgiveness. I tried to do it without your presence. I tried to do it without you, God, and my inward parts were just falling apart. Inwardly, I was just crumbling. Do you hear the, the, the discouragement in David's voice when he tried to do it a way that was not God? How many, how many can see that in David's life? And he was trying to go about his way without God. He had transgressed God. He had sinned against God. He he had he had, he had iniquity in his heart. And he failed God. And he was away from God. And God was saying, there's only one safe place, David. Acknowledge your sin. Quit hiding from me and find the one safe place. How many know if there is a tornado, what do you look for? Not just shelter. We have an idea in our mind what's acceptable shelter and what's not acceptable shelter. How many know that? And you say, well, I'm pretty brave when it comes to storms. I like to chase them. Well, some of you spiritually are the same way. You run into danger and you don't realize you could die today, you could die tomorrow. Last week I was preaching that. You could die within the next hour and we got out of church and what happened? A 41-year-old super athlete died and his daughter. Now, how many think the multimillionaire got out of bed that morning thinking this is my last moment on earth? Church, I'm just telling you, we might not make it to tomorrow. It's not promised. And we're running into shelters that will not be acceptable. And you say, well, what's the first thing that that shelter has to do? That shelter has to protect me from the wrath of God, first and foremost. You so say, well, that's not biblical. He's a God of love. Do you know that he says, he's given us an opportunity to run into a shelter. And he says, don't fear them. Don't fear them that can kill your body and that's all they can do. This is Jesus talking. But fear him that when your body is dead can cast you into hell. Now, why would Jesus say that? He's the only one that has went to heaven. He's the only one that's descended into hell. He's the only one that was there from the beginning and can come back and tell us. So why would he say fear that he'll throw you into hell if they're just going to be annihilated? Which is what an annihilationist will tell you. Or if it doesn't exist, which is what some will tell you. Why, why worry about it if it doesn't exist or you're going to be annihilated? Why worry about it also if you're a universalist? You know what a universalist teaches? That God is so good that eventually everybody will just go to heaven. The universalist. Now why would Jesus say, don't fear them killing your body, which is kind of a thing to be afraid of. No, no, there's something worse than that, Jesus said. The one that can cast you into hell. And church, let me tell you before I get into the other practical things about life, that's the number one reason I go to his shelter. Because I know his shelter is the only place that I'm protected from the wrath of the Lamb. You say, the wrath of the Lamb, that shouldn't go together. That's what the whole book of Revelation is about. I'm doing everything I can to preserve your life, but only if you're in me will you be saved. But why would he use the word saved unless there's extreme danger? Salvation means extreme danger is there, and the only way you can be saved from the danger is to be in His pavilion. I want to be in Him. Hallelujah. So you begin to look at this shelter, and it may be a bomb shelter. You know what? It's like building a grass hut and saying, Man, join me in my bomb shelter. How would you like... uh, for some of those great weapons of war to be coming through and you're in your grass hut bomb shelter. It's got to be something that can be proper to protect us from whatever we're hiding from, right? And so here's seven different things that your shelter has to have. Number one, the Bible says in Isaiah 32.2, In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. So he's telling me to hide in him, and all I'm running from is plots of men and strife of tongues. Strife of tongues means the, the tongue that is going to harm you. So God is telling me here that I've got a safe place that I can go and run to when my family hurts my feelings. You say, well, that's not a big deal. Well, how come there are people that are 50, 60, 70 years old that are still mad because of what somebody told them when they were a kid? And I need somewhere to go that is safe that will protect me from everything that's been said to my mind. I mean, that's true. I need a place that I can go that will protect me from everything that's been said to me. How about the plots of men? You may have you ever been a part of somebody plotting against you? Oh man, the whole world's against me. The whole world's against me. Everybody's against me. And you know what? There's partial truth to that. How would it be to go to a place where I'm protected from plots of people and their mouths and I can go there anytime I want this means that if I'm in the presence of the God, He keeps me at, presence of God, He keeps me at perfect peace. I can be in the middle of the most traumatic situation. You mean I could be like Daniel in prison? I could be a Daniel with a bunch of lions in a den. I could be like Joseph in a prison and, you know, in a dungeon type of prison and I can be at peace? Yeah, He says no matter where you're at, no matter where you work, no matter what family you're in, There's a secret place that your soul can hide that will protect you from all the elements. Praise the Lord. I'm actually glad that Scripture wasn't an invading army. I'm glad it was things that we all deal with, right? Because we need a place that we can just hide and say, God, help me. I don't know how to deal with people. And I'm the only one again, right? Okay, good. I'm glad. Praise the Lord. That was like a mercy, yes. felt bad for me. I need one that is sure. Psalm 27.5 says, He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. Anybody had a day that was like, you just say this is trouble day? <laughs> okay. So the day of trouble, everything's going wrong Nothing's going right. Everything's falling apart. Where do you run to? Because here's the thing. Where you run to is what you're trusting is your shelter. Man, I need a cigarette. Somebody tell me, don't talk about that. (laughs) I wanted to quit, but God, you didn't take this trouble away, so i got to have one. I need something to drink. How many of you think people run to these shelters? And I'm not condemning anybody because what God's trying to do is help us through all that. There's a reason why we originally turned to that. We have addictions and you say, well, what do I do with my addiction? Am I lost forever? No, we already talked about that. If you openly admit to God your failures, you're missing the mark, he'll cover you. And then he'll begin to straighten that arrow up, and he'll begin to deliver you from it. You say, "Well, how long? I don't know. How long did you give the enemy to hook you? If he's hooked you for thirty years, I'd at least give God thirty years of of, of, of time to, to to heal you of it. And I think he'll do it a lot quicker than that. If we pray and we get serious about it, Hallelujah. Three, it's a secret place. Ooh, wee, I like this one. Satan would love to come there, but he can't. I was talking to Sharon last week about the uh, abuse center, the domestic abuse center they have locally, and she was just saying they're not a Christian organization, but what they do, I'm so amazed with. What they do is they take somebody who's a battered wife, domestic violence, and they hide them. And they're really good at it. And you've got this raving lunatic that likes to beat up his wife, would love to find her, love to get his hands on her, but she's in a secret place. Too bad. Oh boy, you ought to see, when they're powerless to beat people up and powerless to bully people. And they've been taken to a secret location and that's exactly the picture you have when you think of Satan. He's raving, he's angry, he wants to destroy your life. But my soul is with God. So everything that Satan's doing around me doesn't affect me. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion, but the fearful run and are afraid. And God wants to make us the type of Christian that stands on a rock and we're in a secret place and the enemy doesn't have keys, he doesn't have directions, he doesn't know how to get to our heart. No matter what's going on around me, I'm just fine. Satan, you don't affect me. My my future is bright because my future is not in this world. My future is in the world to come. I'm going to go through this world with peace because I know God is on my side. Is God going to take it all away? No, he's going to take you to a secret undisclosed location in the spirit. And you're going to be at perfect peace when everything mentally says you should fall apart. And if you're still falling apart, you haven't found the secret place. And God wants you to find it. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. Understand me, part of the maturity as a Christian is learning to go to the secret place when nothing around you makes sense. Nothing around you makes sense, but I'm still going to trust Him. See, God likes to do that. God took David, said, David, you're going to be king, and anointed him at a young age. And many, many, many years passed before that ever happened. David found himself running for his life. He was the, how many know that David at one point was the number one fugitive in the nation? The entire nation was on a manhunt for David. Saul was going after him with his, uh, with his national armies. David could only flee to an area that he knew where there were a bunch of caves that just happened to be in the same area where he killed Goliath. And so he's hiding in a cave, fearful for his life, thinks he's going to die. Everything's falling apart. And guess what David found? He writes about it. That's what we're reading today. He found a secret place. Went in there afraid and alone. Nobody on his side. Nobody protecting. God will let everything around you fall apart until you find the secret place. They find a place where it all goes away. And it's just you and God. And David came out of that cave, a crazy, he went in a crazy man. He actually was foaming at the mouth to look crazy so Philistines wouldn't kill him. That's the only place he had to turn for protection was Philistines. And they seen Goliath's sword on him and they wanted to kill him. So he started acting like he was crazy so they'd let him go. So he goes into this cave crazy, everything in his life has fallen apart. He finds God, finds a secret place. Comes out of that cave a king and people from all over came to join him in the cave and he's dancing when he comes out of the cave because he found what he calls the secret place. Power in that place. You say, well, why would God take me there? Because God just wants you to trust him. And that's how you do it. You say, well, why don't you just do everything for me and I'll walk in it because you'll never trust him. That's how you learn to trust God. Amen? So it is a... Safe place, it's a shore place, it's a secret place, and it's a nurturing place. That's kind of important. I don't want a shelter that's not well stocked. I, mean, I would love to have a shelter, man. I can, no matter what the disaster, it could be a nuclear or a war, and I've got like a, some people have these giant like trailer built underground and they got stocked full of food and, man, nobody is going to bother me. It looks like the Batcave. Right, I man, that would be really cool. Nobody's going to hurt me anymore. It's my safe room. You know, nobody knows where I'm at. I got plenty of food. And but what if I go to that place and I'm just not taken care of there? Well, God says, Psalm 61: Let me dwell in your tent forever. This isn't just a place to run and hide out. Like I want to stay there forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. You didn't see the picture. See, we gotta mentally visualize what's happening here. It's a mother bird taking care of her young bird. And he's saying, you're like that, you can stay here forever. And I'm gonna feed you, I'm gonna take care of you, I'm gonna, I mean, you know, maybe it's hard because we're picturing God bringing us earthworms and dropping them into our beak. But, uh, just understand this, God's gonna take care of you. God's going to take care of you. Everything else could be falling apart, but God's going to care for you under the shelter of his wings. So it is a place where you're going to be taken care of. It's a strong place. Man, I would love a place with thick walls. I mean, you know, it's a tornado. It's like, how I many have you ever been in a, the most, I think the most secure place you've been during a tornado. And you're like, I'm feeling pretty good about this tornado because I'm in a strong place. The Lord says in Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. See, what they didn't put there was really high or pretty high or kind of high, most high. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High and abides in the shadow of the Almighty. God's telling you that I'm not just kind of high, partially high, a little bit high. I'm the Most High. And so if I'm in the shelter of the Most High, then the Least Highs can't reach me, right? Hallelujah. He's the Almighty. And we realize whose shelter and whose wings we're under, and who's making promises for my life and promises over my kids, promises over my family. When we realize He's the Most High, it changes the way we sit in the shelter. We got walls that are thick around us. Hallelujah. It's secure. You are my hiding place, Psalm one You're my hiding place, you're my shield, I hope in your word. So I'm sitting in my hiding place and God's got his shield right over the top of me. Anybody ever heard of the Iron Dome in Israel? You know how they sleep at night? I've got an app now that uh, does uh, bomb sirens every time Israel gets hit with a rocket, so it scares me to death. I don't know what it feels like over there. But every time that siren goes off, I'm like, oh, God, I pray. I start praying for Israel because I don't know where they're being hit, and it's usually Gaza Strip. And, uh, in fact, if you want that app, let me know. I'll tell you what. It's called Red Alert, and it tells you every time Israel's getting missiles. But anyway, why are they not as stressed? Because they have something over them. It's a shield in the air that nobody sees, and it's called Iron Dome. And so when I'm sleeping at night, a lot of you are afraid that the bombs are about to hit your bed. You know, you got all these bombs hitting you and you're like, enemy's gonna do this, enemy's gonna do that. I got so much anxiety, I got so much fear, I can't even sleep. How many know that we've got more than the iron dome over the top of us if we trust the Lord? If He's our shelter, we just put it in God's hands. Hallelujah. And the last one, everybody say amen. Hallelujah. It is a place where we're not just sitting, we're not just waiting, we're not just hiding, we're not just wanting to be there forever. It's a place where he literally talks to us. He communes with us. He wants us to be there and spend time with him and love him. Song of Solomon 2.14 says, O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. That's him talking about his bride. God doesn't just want us there to run away from trouble. God really wants to know us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to see. I already told you, I didn't get Valentine cards because of this face. But he thinks our face is lovely. Why does he think I'm so good looking? I don't know. Everybody's shaking their head. I was like, ah, that's disgusting. Why does he think you're lovely? Hideous, (laughs) hideous. <laughs> but I mean, no, the Lord thinks that we're lovely, He wants to see our face, He wants to hear our voice, He wants to hide us, but He wants to communicate with us and love us and be a part of our life, and that's really the entire goal. The last one is the whole reason He has a pavilion. You don't build a giant pavilion just so people can look at how pretty it is. You build a giant pavilion to fill it with people that are talking to each other and enjoying each other and. Spending time together, and so he's built a giant pavilion. And who who does he want in? He says, I want all people. I want everybody to come to me. I want everybody to take shelter in me. I want everybody to know me. But here's the unfortunate thing people still reject him. Hallelujah. Worship team. Let's pray. If everybody'd stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Church, we're uh, real close to opening a prayer room. You say, well, man, what's that going to be? The Bible says that when they built the tabernacle, they built the temple, it was just a copy. I mean, no, you know, you got a painting of Da Vinci. It's just a copy. That's not the real painting. It's, not, it's valueless. Temple and tabernacle were great because God's presence was there. But Hebrews really stresses that it was a copy, it was a pattern. It wasn't the real thing, it wasn't the genuine one. Do you know where the real one's at? The real one is in heaven, and God also says it's in our heart. It says the Holy Spirit wants to live in people's hearts. God wants to put his... A house within us. God wants to know us. God wants to speak to us. What we're trying to do in that prayer room is we're trying to build an environment where you can soak in God's presence for no other reason but to know Him and to love Him and to spend time in His presence to hear His voice for the first time in your life. Is that a special place? It's not. But the conditions are going to be so perfect in there. If you can't hear God's voice in there, you won't hear it anywhere. And if you can hear His voice in there, you can hear His voice anywhere. Let I me mean, know that's true. If I can hear His voice there under perfect conditions, then now I can hear His voice anywhere in church. we got to quit playing games. we got to really hear His voice. He's got to really be our shelter. He's got to be the one we confide in. But man, when I go through problems, Pastor, i got to talk to you or somebody mature at church. Those days are over, church. I love, I, I enjoy talking to you. I want to talk to you. Tell, ask my wife. I never quit talking to I love talking to people. But there's something a lot better than talking to me or anybody else. That's being in His pavilion, being in this secret place, being in His presence, hearing His voice. Letting Him tell you how much value you have. Letting Him tell you how lovely you are. Oh man, I just, I want to melt and cry when God tells me I'm lovely. I've never been called lovely. Hallelujah. How many want God to speak to you? How many want to know God? How many want to quit hiding from God? How many want to come closer to God? God wants to do that today. I'm going to leave these altars open. If you need prayer... You say, man, Chad, isn't this where you, the obligatory, you beg people to go to the altar? Those days are over, church. If you're not right with the Lord, find me. I'll lead you to the Lord. we have got lots of men, women here that will lead you to the Lord. If you've got a sickness, we want to lay hands on you like the Bible says, pray for them to recover. If you're going through a trouble, if you're going through a stressful time, if you're having family problems, church, we're here to pray. How many know that? This altar is why we're here to pray. I just want to encourage every Christian to come to this altar. It was a beautiful altar time. You know why? Because Christians responded. People needed prayer. People wanted prayer. But nobody's going to come to our altars if you stay in your seats. Hallelujah. If you need prayer, I need you to find somebody. If you need to give your heart to the Lord, today is the day. There may not be tomorrow. You're going through something. We need to pray for you. So let's get up to these altars. Don't wait. He said, do you have a formal call? No, I don't. Come on up. Come on up to the altar. Hell, if you need prayer, find one of us. Praise the Lord. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord? Hallelujah let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, bless your people. Oh, Father, hide them in your presence, Lord God. Hide them in your pavilion. Father, pour out your grace, your love, your mercy, your wisdom, Lord. Speak to hearts this week, Lord. Bless them, Lord God. Keep them, protect them, Lord God. your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Hallelujah.